Flying Lotus is Stephen Ellison, a progressive electronic music producer, fusing hip-hop, jazz and dubstep into tasty cocktails of novel vibrations. A descendant of the famed Coltrane family, Flying Lotus continues to supply high-quality, inventive sound, pushing the boundaries of popular music. You're tuned into Roots to Grooves. Yo, 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 it's Roots 2 Grooves. I'm Jesse sitting across from me is Jay Purcell. Hey, everybody. Was I coming in too soon? Maybe. Was, it, was the song going on for too long? Maybe. No. No. Three minutes, 39 seconds. G-N-G, B-N-G. Gong bong. Gong bong. <laughs> from Flying Lotus. That was what we opened up with this week. And that's our artist of the week this week. Jay's pick. Yeah. Great artist. Yeah, I've uh, I got the chance to see him play live a few years ago in Seattle. Nice. Played at the Sodo uh, Showbox Sodo, which is a venue down in the Sodo area of Pioneer Square. A few blocks down. Yeah, um, it was cool. It was just him. Thundercat actually showed up as well. He did. Did he open up for him? Uh, no, he like performed with him. Nice. Yeah, like Flying Lights was playing for a while, and then Thundercat came out played a couple of tracks sick had a lot of uh 3d stuff going on we, we were given 3d sunglasses or glasses when we walked in nice. uh, I, I kept mine i think you were supposed to return the rest of them but jay i didn't know you know i just they looked I cool like they were red knew. i feel like you knew <laughs> but anyway we yeah. gotta break those out that's a yeah uh i should have worn i should have worn them you know? for this episode yeah <laughs> damn it pause okay. right, we'll re-record later yeah, yeah. So, I mean, talk to me. Who is who is Flying Lotus? What kind of music are we talking about? Um, I would call it glitchy hip-hop, breakbeat, trip-hop, mm-hmm. beats, instrumental, although he's had a lot of uh, guest vocalists, which we'll talk about later on. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely in the, yeah, it's like in the realm of hip-hop, electronic music. What kind it, of progressive? Yeah, progressive, I've, yeah. I've seen progressive hip-hop. Mm-hmm. Or avant hip hop or avant garde yeah. hip hop. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, new jazz, yeah. elements of electronica. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But just, just kind of mishmash. It's, it's definitely revolving around hip hop as the, as the nucleus. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. some things like that track remind me of DJ Shadow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, who you turned me on to, who we've done an episode yeah. on, which is really cool. Who, yeah, that reminds me of like old, later. DJ Shadow stuff, mm-hmm. not, not early DJ Shadow. Okay, but yeah, he's definitely rooted in hip hop uh, as well. Yeah, so yeah, so cool stuff. Um, I don't know. I've I've I heard about Flying Lotus for the last few years for sure. That's when I became aware. Or the last five six years, somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, and just everything I've heard from him is very top notch and very great, very mm-hmm. immersive. Yeah. Um, very uh, just a lot of things going on. A lot of sampling. Mm-hmm the the tracks are really deep there's a, a lot of different layers and synthesis of synthesizers i guess yeah. that's how you describe it yeah. um so i mean yeah just very high quality work um he's he he works on a lot of stuff from anime shows yeah he's got his music on like cartoon network adult swim um he's worked with kendrick lamar yeah. he's got like four or five full-length albums out mm-hmm 
Um, and he's just continuing to grow and to learn. And he seems like a really cool, chill guy. Yeah, definitely chill. I've seen some uh, salacious tweets from his early earlier career. Oh, was he a little um, bit where he was wild? Like basically saying things like "fuck you" to the Grammys and stuff like that. Mm. He's since deleted those tweets. But um, <laughs> I think you know everything I've heard him say in interviews and that is he's very. Uh, trying to like get rid of the ego in music and just trying to stay grounded and chill and, yeah um, he's definitely that way you know obviously twitter's a whole thing you could say anything on there and people will just like take it the wrong way or just whatever so. very easy <laughs> yeah. to inflame very easy too easy simple ideas yeah yeah uh but like i said he's he's still learning and growing i'm sure everyone has these these, you know, ideas, you know, F the Grammys, like, oh, yeah, whatever. Here's what I care about. You know, you're, you're, you're young, you're punk. Yeah. You're figuring out your way. So it's like, you know, but he's slightly, uh, slight miniature tangent. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day about, uh, you know, if I don't know, maybe if like people like you and I, our generation, we've, we've, had the internet for quite a while now and we've posted a lot of stuff on there mm -hmm. um you know i've had like old websites old social media things and you forget that that stuff somewhere is still out there yeah even like to websites that you've forgotten how to log into and stuff like that yeah it's like you know there's a track record of in the future when you're trying to run for president of the united states someone will dig up some old myspace uh post yeah. that you you said about something Some, as, even if it's like a screenshot of something that exactly, was yeah. deleted yeah somebody still has it on their phone right uh, yeah. it's possible yeah, you know, and it's scary so. and we see it today more and more with all these celebrities and uh politicians yeah getting yeah. caught saying dumb silly stuff there you go so anyway tangent over sorry but true yeah. very true yeah. very <laughs> poignant uh so where are we i mean that's basically um flying lotus is steve ellison yeah, that's his real name. Real name. And Flying Lotus is his uh, um, artist name. Where, no, talk to me about Flying Lotus, the name. Where do you get it? Uh, he said he got it from Lucid Dreaming. Mm -hmm. So it just came to him. Um, and I meant to do this. I meant to kind of look up Lucid Dreaming because I think I know what it is. And I think I do it, but I don't. I want to be sure. As far as I know, Lucid Dream is when you wake up and you're kind of conscious, but you are in a dream state. Okay. So your body's lying still, essentially asleep, yeah. but your mind is awake and conscious and you're able to, you know, live and move inside your dream and make choices about where you want to go or whether you want to fly. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you do that? Um, uh, I've, I've woken up multiple times in a dream, within a dream, like Inception or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Layers. Where I'm like convinced that I've woken up from the dream, but and then I realize I'm still in a dream. So then I wake up again, and then I'm in, still in the dream. Is that fun? Um, it's not bad. It's a little bit crazy. It seems um, kind of hectic. A little bit hectic. Sometimes that's, yeah. Um, but yeah, like lately, I don't know, my dreaming has been kind of like, if I go to bed thinking about a project or some music or whatever, like my brain will think about it as I'm sleeping mm -hmm. and then I'll wake up with like some answers or some ideas. I think that's very yeah. true. Yeah. I think that happens and we can yeah. utilize that. Yeah. Yeah. I think you can, you definitely use it as a tool. I've, all you have to do is you think about whatever it is you're trying to solve as you're mm -hmm. going to sleep. You, some, some people might think that's counterintuitive. Like how can you fall asleep if your mind's going, but mm -hmm. actually you do eventually drift off and then 
yeah, more more often than not, you wake up with some revelations or some ideas or inspirations or you just or still, the answers to the, the problem. You put the ticket in your mind and then yeah. you allow your subconscious to figure it out while you're asleep. Yeah, yeah. And it does. It thinks yeah. about it. Your brain figures out problems for you and then gives you answers when you wake up. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Our yeah. brain is powerful. It's powerful. There you go. And lucid dreaming, like, yeah, I think what you said is is right. And uh, Flying Lotus, Stephen Ellison, says he, he still does a lot of his dreams of more often than not lucid dreaming kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, this, mm. this guy is certainly psychedelic. Yeah. You know, at, at the very least, he does smoke marijuana for what that's worth. Yeah. We're just an educational podcast <laughs> trying to give the facts, people. Yeah. You know, none of us have ever, ever smoked marijuana, and I don't recommend it. No, I've never inhaled. Just, yeah. Just, no. just, yeah. <laughs> just kidding. Um, so Flying Lotus is related to some esteemed musicians. Talk to me, Jay. Yeah. John Coltrane was his uncle. Esteemed saxophone. Yeah, saxophonist and composer. Um, although John Coltrane passed away before um, Flying Lotus was born. Mm. But John Coltrane was married to Alice Coltrane, who is his aunt. And most directly related to him because I think she, Alice Coltrane was his grandmother's sister mm -hmm. on that side of the family. Um, and so he grew up around Alice Coltrane a lot and like... Um, very inspired by her it sounds like she was kind of a big figure in his life mm -hmm. not in a musical sense really mm -hmm. um he said he was aware that you know of her heritage and her music and all and all of that you know obviously um but more often it was like when he'd have like i like questions about the universe or something like that he'd always be able to call her up and ask her a question and he said she always had the right thing to say in response kind of thing and, mm -hmm. um she was a wise woman yeah so, you know, he said he like, used to hang around her house a lot and, um, you know, she had a piano there, but she like never really played. He said he never really saw her practice or anything. Um, but she so, was yeah. proficient. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. And I think um, the harp was the main instrument. Mm -hmm. I, I think you call it the harp, the big stand up yeah. instrument, plucking yeah, strings. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, years and years ago, I, I was in London in a record store. I think it was a Virgin Megastore in London. <laughs> it was like Tower Records of, of the right. time kind of thing. And going looking through some random CDs and I saw Alice Coltrane and I was like, I know who John Coltrane is. Who's Alice Coltrane? Right. I just randomly purchased it, uh, brought it home and it was just like, yeah, big sweeping jazz music. Very sort of like, there's a lot of like big tinkling sounds and, is it kind like, of thematic with some strings and stuff? Yeah, or? A little bit, yeah. It's like a lot of her harp playing is just very like sprinkly, magical, twinkly kind of thing. And there's lots of like shaky percussion stuff happening. Minimal is, drums, I think. Did we have a, a track on our list of, of music to play that we get a little yeah. sample, Jay? Yeah, obviously, yeah. Let's get a little bit of he said, a, He said obviously. Ob obviously. <laughs> Obviously, I'm prepared. Obviously, no. <laughs> uh, I think that I think this track was the first track off the CD I bought. Nice. I'm not sure. We'll see. I'll just play a little bit of it.
There you go. Alice Coltrane. That was track was called Journey in Sachidananda. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. You see that? Uh, we're featuring Pharaoh Sanders on saxophone. Yeah, that was like the first thing I heard when I randomly got that. I mean, very um, cool with that harp. It's like great music. You can just drift float yeah. away. And you can play that any time of the day. Um, middle of the day when mm-hmm. you're taking a break. It'll take you away somewhere kind of thing. Yeah, I feel like I just got lifted on a cloud. I know, yeah. <laughs> and taken <laughs> it's an away. uplifting thing. Yeah, so, I mean, very beautiful. So obviously talented. Yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of the press kind of always wrote more about John Coltrane than her. So I've seen some things out there where they said that she was always kind of not really given the attention. Just playing second fiddle. Yeah, <laughs> although not actually playing fiddle. but yeah. little, little music joke. Uh, music joke there, <laughs> music puns. Um, but yeah, no, she's, I mean, she has a lot of fans and she did a lot of albums in the mm-hmm. 60s, 70s, I think. Yeah. Um, but then as, yeah, Flying Lotus was kind of a kid and a teenager around her, He, she was she was just a person to him, like an aunt, you know, mm-hmm. a great aunt to him, uh, not, not like the famous jazz musician or whatever, which right. is obviously like if you have a, someone that's famous in your family, I, I have not experienced this, but, you know, if you do, they're, they're either... If you know them, they're they're just your family, right? Or if you're not, then then you don't talk to them or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. They're just some famous. Oh, they're in my family. They're famous. Yeah, <laughs> but that that's the what um, Steve. Dude, can we call him Steve? Is that too much? Maybe. I think Stephen. <laughs> I don't know who, if his friends call him Steve. Mister Ellison. Yeah, Mister Ellison. Uh, but Flying Lotus. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was his experience. He grew up with some esteemed musicians surrounding him yeah. um, as an influence. Yeah, yeah. And you can even listen to that song and hear a little bit of influence on just the general trippiness. Yeah, yeah. It begs a question, you know, was Alice doing hard drugs all the time? Is one or ever? <laughs> Questions, I don't know. I have the answer. He said uh, that she, really? she didn't, but she did smoke marijuana. Oh. So, yeah. Well, he said, oh, it might have actually... Let me fact check myself. I think he might have been talking about his grandmother. Mm. Uh, actually, yeah. His oh, grandmother. <laughs> Marilyn McLeod. Marilyn McLeod, who is also a singer-songwriter. She wrote... Um, she wrote for Motown, right? I don't know. Did she? Uh, as far yeah. as I know, yeah. Okay. That's what I yeah. came across in my research. Okay. She, uh, I think she wrote a song She wrote a song for Diana Ross called Love Hangover and then a song for Frida Payne called I Get High. And so uh, Nardwa Serviette, of all the people, asked Flying Lotus, did she get high? And he said yes. Nice. So, yeah. Ooh. Marilyn McLeod, his, his grandmother there. Thanks to Nardwa for the assist. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, yeah. and then also he had some more cousins, Ravi and Oran, Coltrane. Right. Back mm-hmm. to the Coltranes. And so, yeah, like I said, cousins. Yeah. And I think they, they kind of helped him eventually. As we're getting to talk about it now, but they, they showed him how to make beats on a computer. And I'm not sure about their history, but I think they at least have some musical background and they share the same family. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what they got up to as far as music, like I said, but they yeah. were a huge influence on Flying Lotus and, and putting the pieces together as far as his inspiration and then being able to do it technically in a computer and actually put the beats to tape. Right. Um, so I yeah. think that was pretty huge. He said, 
Oron was was the one he was around all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Flying Lotus, Stephen Ellison had a Sega Genesis, and he would go around his house, and Oron would be making music on the computer, and he'd show him how to make beats, and he, mm-hmm. he just owes it all to him. Wow, Sega Genesis, I remember that. Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> just just like, a, I don't know, some kind of old computer. Yeah, do you know, not know of it? No. So, or what? I know, I mean, I know the, the game console, Yeah. but I was wondering it, that, what were they using to make beats? Like, oh, they didn't okay. have like a MacBook <laughs> Pro with Pro Tools, you know, what were they? Oh, I don't know. Um, but I do know, like, I'm not sure if it was one of the Coltrane cousins, but one of his cousins bought um, Flying Lotus, a Roland MC505 mm-hmm. Groovebox, which is kind of a sampler thing, um, I think, sequencer. I think it has like drum sounds in there and you can... That sounds like the answer to my question. Step sequence things, yeah. And then I don't know if he was when the computers came about kind of thing, but... Um, but no, yeah. but this is good. So, I mean, we're basically talking about his early life. Yeah. Talking about Flying Lotus. Um, he there, I had some notes about just general isolation. Mm. He was kind of mentioning in some interviews and articles that um, he kind of always wanted a big brother. And the closest thing was Nintendo. <laughs> so, um, yeah, is Nintendo Sega? What is going on here? No, no Sega's completely separate. separate. Yeah, they were, back in the day, there was Nintendo and there was Sega. I'm so ignorant to the the gaming world. Yeah, I I never had one, but I had friends growing up. The, the first one was like the Sega Mega Drive. Mm-hmm. Was the, the Sega Genesis was the the new thing that came out. The, the old Nintendo. And then the Game Boy, right? Obviously, they had. I remember Game Boy. I don't remember what the name of this thing, but I had a friend that had this computer game that was it all ran off of cassette tapes. He had this like um, box that looked like an old dictaphone. You know those old like long dictaphones that had the record buttons on it with the cassette tape in there, and you could record memos on it and stuff like that. I do not. This thing looks like that, but it had computer games on it, and hmm. he would like had this old joystick i don't know, remember what it was called maybe your audience knows what yeah with like a about. red knob yeah yeah and it i was think i've seen that all super old yeah when i was growing up my friends had all this stuff and i was like i don't know i don't understand any of this shit like mm-hmm. and then like i'm trying to play and it's like i don't know what i'm doing i'm just uh, pressing all the buttons yeah, yeah yeah, just mashing button mashing i'm still do i still do that now if someone has me something i just bat them yeah <laughs> same <laughs> i don't know same yeah, yeah um but it's all good yeah um so how about that's a little bit of his background information and yeah so he he actually did play saxophone in school that was his first instrument actually yeah. musical thing and that was a in fact a coltrane horn right was it like but i think as far as i know okay. yeah the one he played okay. in class was from yeah. alice or john oh wow cool which is cool yeah. and then you know so that obviously i don't know i think i had some notes somewhere but i'll, I'll bring it up when i find them yeah, and he grew up in the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles in a suburb. There we go. Um, he had a lot of trouble at school, I think. Um, he said he started hanging out with, like, the acid kids, he called them, um, started smoking, uh, got kicked out of school, and then they sent him to a special school where it was for recovering addicts that are, like, I think he had. He said he had an ex crack addict te- as a as a teacher hmm. right, at that school. Um, but the weird thing about that is, it was like this whole school of like other kids that had been kicked out of like regular school, right? And for like fighting, you know, all that stuff. 
but he said when they were all together they kind of all got along and he said he kind of found his group of people like the oddballs the outcasts kind of thing um beautiful and so yeah from his troubled time at school to go into this new school we kind of found a little bit more solid footing with people and stuff like that mm -hmm. so um nice yeah uh, i do have a quote i'd like to share with you all um this is by flying lotus himself he said about the same thing about the how we were talking about the coal trains and his early life um quote i used to play alto sax when i was in middle school i felt a little pressure to play considering i was also using a coal train horn at school it didn't really register until later in life like what the fuck why did i have that I always kind of dabbled with keyboards and stuff, but I didn't really take it anywhere. I would sometimes take a lesson here and there, learn a couple things, but I've only really started digging into the instrument like a year ago, really, um, really in it now. And I think that interview was from a couple years ago or something. Okay. Um, yeah. And he was looking back at that point. But yeah, I feel like that's a pretty good overview. We're starting to understand who this guy is and a little bit of his background. So let's play a track off of his, uh, his first album. To yeah. give everybody an idea. I think during this episode, we're not going to go um, talk specifically about album per album yeah. at length, but we do want to give everybody a taste of him progressing through his discography. Yeah. So I think he had a few early releases, internet releases, but this is off of his first album, 1983. <laughs> off of his album 1983 his first album don't know the name of that track because someone uploaded that to youtube in 2011 <laughs> without the name of the song on it damn um, can't find this album very easily online to listen to um unfortunately i don't know why but very cool track though came out in 2006 yeah, yeah it reminds me a lot of uh <laughs> So now I'm realizing that I've heard of Flying Lotus before I've heard of him because I did mm. used to watch Adult Swim back in the day right. when he had his tracks on there. So I definitely heard the little skits. And I guess to give people a bit of background, um, he was at home on his mom's couch watching Adult Swim, which mm -hmm. is like the, how would you describe that? It's like the... It's like an adult version. Yeah. It's... I mean, it's like a Cartoon Network is the main channel, right? Yeah. And, and they, then Adult Swim is like a program that's geared towards a series of programs for adults. Right. Yeah. I did see, there's a documentary about it, I think. Mm -hmm. They touched on it. It was like a Nickelodeon documentary or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, but yeah, they, they basically put an ad on air that was saying they were looking for music submissions. And he like was already working on some stuff. He sent some stuff in. Mm-hmm. They were like, yeah. And then they basically used all of his stuff over all of They're these things. They're like, this is dope. Things. Yeah, all those weird little glitchy moments in between. And so would you say shows. that's one of the first things, his first foray steps into the industry of, of receiving a little bit of success? Definitely publicly. I know around the same time he was interning at Stone's Throw Records, mm -hmm. I think, um, and doing like office sort of admin helping out there mm -hmm. kind of thing. 
um, and he was getting involved in the nights, the LA club scene nights, one of them uh, most popular on Low End Theory, which a lot of people have heard about, a lot of other big artists kind of got their break through doing that night. Um, Gas Clamp Killer is, a, is one guy out there. Um, and a lot of Stones Throw, other artists on Stones Throw Records did that night. Mm. I think that night was originally called something else to start with became low in theory which is like the, the thing that people that are tapped into that scene have heard about i think and those artists kind of thing um, right but definitely publicly the the adult swim was kind of i could get i guess first official release but not really a release because it was on tv yeah no so yeah we're kind of hopping around a little bit and i don't mean to cause trouble because yeah. no. uh yeah because he this guy's coming up during the the myspace era yeah um you know so everything was still pretty underground like kind of the internet was still coming up like this guy's at this age where even more so than us a little bit he was you know in the industry without the internet being so prevalent as it is today yeah um so they were there was a lot of just kind of that street kind of vibe like he's meeting people in hip-hop circles in parking lots sharing music mm -hmm. on tapes uh mixtapes stuff like this and it's just all kind of really organic yeah um you know grassroots type movement happening um, obviously hip hop hip hop got huge um also the time when rap was going on and kind of really coming into itself and i think i remember i'm looking for my notes i think he was he was kind of like what's going to happen with rap mm. um you know there's this whole underground movement and where's it going to go he said it seemed like rap wasn't going anywhere um but yeah just playing tracks on their homies boombox sharing music i'm just trying to kind of create a vibe of this guy's space and a, a visual yeah for for how it is. Yeah, I think the MySpace thing helped him discover a lot of uh, music internationally because mm -hmm. he was he was making this kind of what he called wobbly wonky beats. <laughs> yeah. And some of the other people that were starting to show up, uh, other bedroom producers or whatever that were starting to show up at these nights were making similar stuff as well. Mm -hmm. And then through MySpace, he discovered all of this like stuff from UK, Europe and Japan other other artists that were doing it and so they were starting to get inspired off of that as well mm -hmm. so it was like this big sharing of inspiration that was happening via myspace with mm -hmm. him hearing this crazy music from elsewhere being inspired by that creating stuff putting that up and then those producers in turn listening to what he was doing and vibing off of that as well yeah, exactly. it's like i think someone at some point said it was kind of like a london la handshake kind of of like yeah, like sharing, like, hey, you're time. doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, let's share and grow. Yeah. So very cool, just yeah. to give a little more uh, background, because, I mean, yeah, where are we at? We're about 2007. Yeah, so I think, yeah, I also to sort of backtrack a little bit. We, I, <laughs> I did mention the sampler, the Roland sampler that he right. got gifted by his cousin. There was something else I wanted to mention as well, because there was this uh, famous mixtapes that were going around from 1994 so like mid 90s mm -hmm. onwards uh called raw r a w with a period in between um it was this guy that put together all these mixtapes on cassette tapes was selling them um and it was like he'd make all these tracks on a four track um by layering acapellas sound effects movie samples and synths and kind of creating this dark sound and i think it was one of these mixtapes that really inspired Flying Lotus to 
do that type of music mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, totally underground stuff. I haven't heard any of this stuff, but you can go on Bandcamp, download that mix bandcamp.com. There's a bunch of these old mixtapes going back from the mid nineties. Seems like it would be like if you like Lothlion Lotus, there'd be some crazy gems to go listen to. On no, that, on yeah, I can't stuff. imagine some of this yeah, yeah. underground stuff that yeah. a lot of us haven't heard that he was inspired by to, exactly, to make yeah. his yeah, his yeah. music. Yeah, yeah, it's great. But um, yeah, and so he he's doing his thing. He's doing the club nights, um, meeting a lot of people, a lot of producers in that scene, mm-hmm. seeing that he's not the only one mm-hmm. making crazy music like this. Um, interning at stone story records which at the time i think was kind of popping off a little bit i'm not sure if they were like as well known as they are now but right. um i think that was that time when they were coming up um and he puts out his first album 1983 um on plug research mm-hmm. record label um and we played a bit of track from that and then that was 2006 and then 2008 he comes out with los angeles which is his first proper debut record and let me jump in real quick because yeah. 2007 he um that's when he got signed to warp right records yeah just to, to follow our little narrative timeline we're going on yeah um and then eventually he started his own label called brain feeder yeah and was that around that same time or was that later i think it was around that same time yeah okay that's um, the impression that i'm under but i don't want to give false information well, he like started Brain Feeder mostly as a way to sort of kind of um, bring his friends together, like other producers, um, to house his friends' music. Mm-hmm. Sammy Yam, Raz G, a couple of those artists. Um, but yeah, but since he got signed to Warp, you know, he hasn't really, <laughs> he didn't really put out his own music on Brain Feeder. It was like more, it seems like more of a collective, more of a, just a, like a brand kind of thing. And I think he, I've heard him say stuff about that in that way, that it's more of like a a brand that he wants to utilize more in the future mm-hmm. um, for other things, not just music kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. But again, this guy's, you know, he's been prolific. He's entering like a period of hyper productivity. Mm-hmm. Um, just as the story we've been telling, it's kind of ramping up yeah. and he's just, figuring out what he wants to do. He's getting really productive. He's on Adult Swim. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm just kind of whipping whipping around. Yeah. His next album comes out. Are we on the next album? Cosmo Grammar. Grammar. Or Los Angeles in 2008 and then Cosmo yeah. in 2010. Yeah. So more good stuff. Yeah. Um, how about we play a track? We have one ready off of Cosmo Grammar. Is that right? Yeah. Zodiac shit. Yeah, then let's play this one and then let's talk about Flying Lotus's creative process a little bit. zodiac shit yeah like that switch up in there yeah yeah it's kind of trippy layered complex as usual Mm -hmm. from flying lotus fly low 
as some people call him. Oh, is that is that <laughs> is that the hip way? That's, that's the hip way. That's what the kids yeah. are calling him yeah. these days. Yeah. That's cool. Um, but yeah, just another example of a great track. All of it's really um, engaging to me. Yeah. Like you just can put on any of this, any of his music and, you know, there's so much to listen to. Yeah, and I think like one of the, the motivations for that is he said he doesn't want his stuff to sound samey. Mm-hmm. So he wants to like put in a lot of textures and palettes yeah, and variations to keep things interesting. But he's like, he hasn't just done it a little bit. He's like gone all the way with that. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, but so. it, almost to the point where it is this kind of wall of sound. Yeah. Um, that's kind of, you know, assaulting you, yeah, you know, yeah. in a good way. Yeah, you, yeah. you want it. Yeah, yeah. You like it. There's a gro- foundation of a groove, though. Yeah. Most of the time. He but, does some tracks that aren't, like, that are more crazy, but usually but he has There's something groove. you can hang on to, and then yeah, a yeah. lot of different colors and yeah, yeah. swirling sounds. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, awesome. Let's talk about the way this guy makes music. Yeah. Um, cause he seems like just a cool, chill dude. And I like, um, there was some interviews I was reading just about his routine. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's, he's just always generally trying to learn more. He's always, he was taking a lot of time in quarantine to, to focus on stuff, learning how to synthesize, um, you know, like actually synthesize using technology and yeah, synths. Um, yeah. Synths and synthesizing the actual audio, mm-hmm. like in a kind of, I don't know what I'm talking about, Jay. What's the, um, Mm, never mind <laughs> never mind one but so let's talk about what it what he does in a day he likes to wake up early mm-hmm. wakes up at 6 a.m yeah and he sleeps from like midnight to 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 one um and he, but he's he treats it like a job like get up yeah get some coffee maybe smoke a joint and then get to work like kind of like a nine to five yeah um and just he feels like that's when he has the best energy to to work on stuff and to be really immersive in what he's doing, get into that flow state. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he uses his best energy in the morning. And then after he said he's, he's happy to put on some cartoons yeah. after, you know, clock out at five. Yeah. I think he said, unless the inspiration, like the flow is happening, then yeah. keep going with it. But otherwise he said, it's fine to step away mm-hmm. like at 5 PM. But cool. Um, to, I like that style of like, I'm going to put in the time. Yeah to see if the magic is happening right now. Yeah. It's so interesting because even these people who time and time again come out with good music, they're still like, I don't know what's going to happen when. Right. I don't know when I'm going to have a good idea, if mm. ever again. Mm-hmm. And on some of these other episodes, we've seen people, some of these artists struggle. Like, we made a great album that everybody loves five years ago. Yeah. Like, can we do it again? I feel like I don't know how to do it again. Yeah, and we or, have to like kind of reinvent ourselves consistently. Or a lot of artists we've talked about that have gone on tour for so long that they haven't written anything for like four or five years. Yeah, and they're like ah, oh. yeah, just playing these like your tour never stops. Exactly. Yeah, and you're yeah. you're playing the same set of songs from five years ago. Yeah, it's it's crazy how our our minds get really good at what we're doing, but also we can forget about how how to do something that's really really important to us. Yeah, like writing music. It's such a fleeting skill. Well, this is something that um, Flying Lotus talks about a lot is, you know, piggybacking off of what we're saying on his nine to five schedule doing music. You know, he's someone that really talks about like you just have to do it. You just have to mm-hmm. put the work in kind right. of thing, even if you're not feeling it, just um, go and, and like work on some ideas. Like um, I think yeah, one thing he said because he doesn't like to use other people's sounds or sample packs. Like mm-hmm. He likes to make his own. Um, so, you know, 
he'll work nine, nine to five every day. But if he's not in the mood to be able to like write a song, he'll work on elements of like his sound library. Mm -hmm. Like he'll mess around with drum sounds or he'll something he's been doing a lot more recently, which he didn't do earlier in the day, like you were saying, is writing synth patches. Like he's been mm -hmm. getting into synthesizers and like he said, because he really liked the sound of those things, but he, but now he like he wanted to learn how to make them himself kind of thing. Mm -hmm. and he's done that. And so, yeah, he'll do, it's a really great way of working. Yeah, because if you're not able to like write a track or finish a track, you can just work on like a sound, you know, or gathering sounds and messing around with them, playing around with them in plugins and stuff like that mm -hmm. and just storing and saving them away, labeling them. So they're available to you later when you are in the flow of making a track and you're like, oh, I need the, I need some crazy like sound right. that sounds like this. Let me search it on my computer. Found it. Like mm -hmm. this is something he made like ages ago, whatever pulls it into a song kind of thing. Yeah. So his um, own his own work yeah. ethic coming back to yeah help him later on because yeah. he he clocked in nine to five exactly made something yeah um, and so he's able to you know inspire himself in a way and kind of keep keep that that train yeah. steam engine going using yeah. you know kind of pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps kind of thing yeah and just yeah it's the same concept right of the more you do something consistently the better you get at it mm -hmm. um, and he this kind of had a reverse effect I think during the pandemic where he's he kind of had anxiety about playing live again because lockdown happened and for like a year no shows mm -hmm. kind of thing and he did mention in, in one interview he kind of like didn't know what it would feel like to be on stage again with like after spending all this time alone to then be on stage with everyone's eyes on you kind of thing yeah but he did his first show and it went great and he's like back in there but it's like riding a bike yeah but i think it was like that that anxiety of like, yeah, if you haven't done something for a long time, are you going to be any good at it anymore kind of thing? And right. Yeah. There's a lot of muscle memory that comes with that stuff that helps you. Um, it's really but, cool to, yeah. to know that these people who are working at a high level of, you know, music that we, you know, as musicians, we'd like to be at and we respect other people for being there too. Like they don't even know what they're doing either. And they're scared to go back on stage and they're frightened to write more like. Right. You know, these people are, you know, have insecurities at the highest level. And I think that's the thing, right? It just reminds us of that. Like, and that's something we should always be aware of. Is like, like we put these people, like our heroes or our inspirations on higher pedestals than mm -hmm. us kind of thing. We forget they're just people and everyone has their doubts or, you know, there is something to say of confidently doing something, but then there are, you know, doubts or second guessing can happen be natural mm -hmm. i think a lot of people say it's bad to second guess yourself or mm -hmm. these things are seen in society as bad things to do to not have confidence and second guess yourself but like I, but, it comes yeah. up um yeah. real i just wanted to butt in because yeah. um during these times this this episode will be released a couple of weeks after um the death of taylor hawkins yeah um and this conversation was reminding me of that song by the foo fighters uh, best of you and the lines like you know whatever it's best of you or no what is the song my hero my hero yeah my hero and the the lyric is like there goes my hero he's ordinary and that's like you know dave Grohl talking about whoever mm -hmm. but like that's kind of the thing too and we see these in like even superhero movies in in the public domain like it's kind of a reoccurring theme like these 
people are ordinary. Mm -hmm. And even even within the context of a superhero movie, like this guy actually does have superhero powers. One of his powers is still being like human and still being um, like everybody else. Like he's ordinary and normal. And these people are to be to be looked at as idols and stuff because they're ordinary. And you can see the value in that. And like, we're all ordinary. So we all have that superpower too, mm -hmm. in a way. So I'm just saying, if you can recognize these things, it can help you because it's easy to get down and be like, how can I make so much good music as like Flying Lotus? Like, I, I, I don't feel like I'm at that level. Yeah. Mm. But he felt the same way about his himself. Yeah. Yeah, you just got to do, do the work, put the time in. Mm -hmm. um, like, I think also what he said is... Um, this was, was a really long time ago he said this but um he doesn't really not care is not the right word but he doesn't mind if people like or don't like his music mm -hmm. he said it's not really about that for him it's more about him trying to express something um from himself that he wants to say um and doing it honestly and faithfully mm -hmm. and he said if you can finish a track and it's and he's done that then his job is done kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And something else he also said as well is trying to get rid of the ego when you're making music. And he tries to remind himself that when he's making music, it's not about him. It's about you and you as in the listener, I think. Um, yeah. So he's like, has that mindset when he's making music as well. Of, um, you know, he's like, has something to say. He wants to communicate, but ultimately this body of work is not for him it's for other people mm -hmm. i think is a way of saying it which is really interesting kind mm -hmm. of slightly complicated slightly contradictory <laughs> right but makes sense in the end i think i don't know no it does make sense in the end <laughs> it, these things yeah. come in roundabout ways but they yeah. they do make sense yeah yeah because yeah some of the, what we talk about is kind of esoteric mm -hmm. you know which is music right it has to be right esoteric i think that's yeah. kind of what we even you don't have to talk about it but we can still all agree there's some serious power in music mm -hmm. why is it so popular everyone likes it there's so many different kinds yeah and it's everywhere you're shopping there's music mm -hmm. you're bowling there's music yeah you're in you know you're on the bus you're listening to music a movie a scene in a movie can't have the same amount of emotional weight without the music yeah. sometimes yeah or, or, you know, even vice versa, like taking away the music for a, a poignant scene yeah. can leave an impact as well. Yeah, yeah. So kind of the, the lack of or the music being there can just totally change the vibe. Yeah, yeah. As you know, that's what we're that's what we're all here today. Yeah. That's what's bringing us here is that power. Time for another track. It's time for another track brought to you by uh, actually just Jay Purcell <laughs> and Jesse Quigley. Yeah. Oh, sure. Thank you. Uh, this is his feature with Kendrick Lamar from his album, You're Dead. Catch Me from the album You're Dead, Flying Lotus, Kendrick Lamar, Thundercat on the bass there, I think. Mm, it's an outstanding track, to be honest. Yeah. 
I think uh, Thundercat has become a regular collaborator of um, Flying Lotus. Yeah, and even... I, mean, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, no, no, that was it. Finished. May I speak? <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding. Um, I think they've been pretty close collaborators and pretty good friends as well. Yeah. Um, to the point where they were living with each other. I oh, really? Flying okay. Lotus yeah. and uh, Thundercat. Interesting. Uh, I believe in L.A. somewhere. Okay, yeah. So I think, yeah, I think they were pretty tight. I was, there's an article out there somewhere yeah. speaking more on it specifically right um that's all i have to say on it right now but very cool because thundercats you know increasingly make him making himself known as a prominent artist in the industry yeah yeah and then flying lotus as well um yeah, yeah I've, I, I've seen some comments about people saying since they've come together it's kind of changed both of their individual music mm -hmm. or musicianship um because you know uh flying lotus coming from that producer sampler mindset thundercat coming from the live mindset music music's mindset having a band and stuff like that right to the point where i think at a certain point flying lotus did form a live band for a certain series of shows mm -hmm. um but um but yeah so that's kind of interesting kind of well that's a good there. point you bring up what um what can i expect to see at a flying lotus show um i saw a lot of lights a lot of visuals 3d Oh, like stuff. you said, you got the 3D glasses. Yeah, 3D glasses. So was cool. it just Flying Lotus up there doing sample stuff by himself, or does he have some collaborators yeah. on stage for live stuff? Just by himself in the middle of the stage, surrounded by like like a black booth or something uh -huh. like that. Uh, all of the big widescreen visuals on the side and the back. So um, classic kind of DJ setup. Yeah, very dark. You can't really see him. You can just see like a silhouette and visuals and stuff. Um, a lot of bass lot of bass yeah just from him and then thundercat came out when the show i saw and he was just off at the side and played one of thundercat's songs you know like his most famous one where it's like mm -hmm. the slappy guitar thing. oh yeah, yeah yeah um and then a few other things yeah but i mean yeah. that's great yeah when did you see them a few years three four years ago something okay. like that yeah sounds like a great show i'm, yeah. I'm jealous um have another film idea for movie night and it's directed by flying lotus you're not talking about <laughs> is it kuso kuso yeah that's so let's talk about that that's pretty interesting yeah so i think we forgot to say after flying lotus uh left high school he did go to film school for a bit we totally left that out totally that's our bad that i'll um, take responsibility and so he studied film there and uh he didn't really do anything directly with film uh, then but he did make a comment about how how studying film kind of helped him kind of apply like a storyline mindset to his music mm -hmm. and and then storyline being very important in his bodies of work and his albums and mm -hmm. stuff like that but yeah in 2017 he did uh write produce direct yeah, he, I think he wrote the screenplay. Yeah, I wrote it as well. Uh, this film, Kuso, which is a surrealist horror from what I gather. I think comedy too. Comedy, yeah. Um, I, yeah. It, you know, I don't know. It looks like there's a lot going on. I'm looking at the poster cover. Oh, yeah. Like, it's intense. <laughs> it, it looks like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It looks like exactly how you described it, like horror, surrealist, comedy. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
That's all I know. I should have watched it. I don't know. It looks crazy. Yeah, I never, I mean, I never come across it on on a thing. I don't think it hasn't really gotten sort of. It's got kind of got mixed reviews. Um, some people don't understand it at all. Some people think because it's like apparently like a series of vignettes, and it's a little kind of abstract, as you right. would expect from Flying Lotus. His yeah, what do you expect? Is, <laughs> his music is of abstract. I wouldn't expect a, a conventional movie. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so yeah, I think it's chat. Some people find it challenging to watch. Others are like, oh, I need to see it a few more times to get it or something like that. Sure. So, um, but one of the things Brian Lotus did say is like, you know, making music compared to film is relatively easy because music is kind of introspective. You can be in your own world. You can do it by yourself. But making movies, you need a team of people. It, create, it, it, it requires more time, more people, more hard work. More planning, more, more money. More, yeah, as a director, you have to be more extroverted to mm-hmm. communicate your ideas. And he said because of all of that, he he didn't want to do a serious film. He wanted to do something that was fun so they could just laugh their asses off every day when they were going to make the film, um, which okay. makes sense. Yeah. It's a great reason. He just wants yeah. to have a good time. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, yeah, we're on the subject. So this guy's accomplishing things in the movie industry as well. And so he's a lover of movies. Um, I, I read that he really likes horror films, mm-hmm. um, horror films, not horror films. Okay. What's a horror Almost, film? <laughs> I don't know. Should we watch one? <laughs> yeah. No, that's weird. For research purposes. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, he likes horror stuff. I think he liked uh, Freddy Krueger a lot. Mm. I, I guess at one point he said he would dream about that. Yeah. Um, just another fun fact. Yeah. That's all I got on that. But um, he also did some... He worked on another movie um, later on, didn't he? Is I think that he right? started to do some film soundtrack composing. I guess he hasn't done soundtracks. I thought he did, but we've done so many artists. I'm like thinking of someone else completely differently. Yeah, because um, so. under his yeah, under his like <clears throat> discography, there is other movies like Blade Runner, Blackout. He did the original score. It says I think that's. It's a cyberpunk anime short film. Okay. So he he is doing some other type screenplay or yeah um, scores for films. Yeah. And I guess animes. Yeah, animes almost. I don't want to say exclusively, but he I think he's a fan of anime in general. Yeah. Um. So, I guess we're almost to the point of talking about Yasuki. Yeah. Which was in 2021, so very new, and that was the score for an anime series. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. And so it's like a score for an anime series, but there's just a ton of great Flying Lotus music on here. Mm-hmm. It's all Flying Lotus. Thundercats on a track, mm-hmm. um, including a couple other features. Denzel Curry's on there. Um, and there's like 29, 26 tracks. So really yeah. good stuff. Um, I don't, we don't have to play anything off of there. I'm, I want to apologize to all our mm. listeners. I feel like I personally have been very scatterbrained during this episode. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so I hope everything feels like we're, we're understanding. I might take the scissors out to actually edit this. We're going to put right. the back in the, like, literally. Yeah, yeah. The back, the front and the back. It's just going to be front. super chopped up. Like, what a yeah. horrible <laughs> episode. We're, um, we're being bad MCs right now. I'm speaking for myself. But, yeah, I mean, soundtracks... Oh, I'm going to keep skipping around again. Cause, <laughs> yeah, uh, should we go back to early life? Because Tom, <laughs> Tom York, uh, he's also collaborated with Tom York 
Okay, yeah, Radiohead yeah, yeah. a couple of times, I think. Um, and there's like a mutual appreciation there as well. As as I think we've mentioned before, some of Tony York's solo stuff is very heavily electronic. Mm -hmm. And I think kind of if you were to listen to a Tom York album and a Flying Lotus album back to back, you, they would complement each other. Mm -hmm. I think. Um, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. I really like Tom York. Obviously, yeah, and, yeah. and his his solo stuff is very good. Yeah, a couple of those albums are like very good, mm -hmm. rivaling you know Radiohead albums. Yeah, and for that matter, Flying Lotus albums definitely. But I mean, yeah, two great artists. Always great to see when they're collaborating. I know we do. I don't want to play too much music on this musical podcast, but we did have a track on our list um, featuring both of those artists, Tom York and Flying Lotus mm, from Cosmogramma. Are we going to play that, or should we not? I think I would like to. I haven't I actually heard this track. so You haven't? No, I don't think so. I don't know if I have either, so this yeah. could be fun for all of us. <laughs> do we want to play out on it, or do we want to... Is there anything else we have to say? No, I mean, that is... We just talked about Yusuke, which is the anime score yeah. that came out. That's his latest stuff, and we're basically up to date. And that's on Netflix, by the way, if you want to go watch that. I did not know Suke. that, but I am paying fifteen ninety nine per month for <sighs> that Netflix access. So I just watch all the Netflix you can watch for that amount of money. Let's well, let's get out of here then. <laughs> uh, that is all I have on Flying Lotus. Yeah, I think he's really great. This was a fun episode to research. Yeah. This one, the research comes easy because it's just interesting um, looking at somebody who's very prolific and you know making stuff that's you know in scores in films. Yeah. He's he's working on films. He's making very good original sounding music that's, you know, progressive and adding to the conversation. Yeah. So he definitely has deserved his his place in the industry, I think. Yeah. And and his place on Roots to Grooves. Yeah. What, a, what an honor. Yeah, he's very he's been consistently good from the moment he started releasing what he right. he's been producing. Yeah, very, you know, I don't want to repeat your words, but yeah to punctuate that just it's very good yeah i mean uh, this i i i know i i'm not sure if i can i know he's definitely evolved musically he talks about it a lot as well mm -hmm. whereas like later in his career he took up piano lessons again which mm -hmm. is like the reverse of most people we talk about they started out with piano lessons and gave them up he he picked up piano lessons yeah after a few albums released so he could learn more about uh like keys progressions yeah. chords that, that's just um, a huge testament to, yeah. to how he feels about learning his own craft yeah like willing to start from scratch yeah you know at something as complex as the piano yeah i guess they say the piano is one of the easiest to pick up but the most difficult to master really but i'm no no keys okay aficionado yeah i I'd, i've been like I heard. going and kind of looking at it as well a little bit i randomly I sort of try and I search various aspects to learn a little bit here and there kind of thing. Right. About chords, progressions. Like there's a lot of YouTube videos where they're like, here are some Neo Soul chords. and Because mm -hmm. I'm like, there's only a certain number of notes. And I'm yeah. like, how do you... what? And so like, you know, it's very interesting to learn the types of chords that you can do on the piano kind mm -hmm. of thing. Um, and learning about scales and stuff like that. Yeah, it just um, goes deeper and deeper, the different modes yeah. you can play with. And I think this is how like Flying Lotus feels as well. It's like there's no there's no real end to learning 
like there's always like some new music to discover that will inspire you or new not new but like more theory that you don't know that you can acquire kind of thing mm -hmm. um about everything i mean like not every musician is writing synth patches right so that's like something to do you know mm -hmm. not not every musician plays every instrument you know right so but from his perspective he seems like someone that's very willing to learn experiment i think he even said like when he goes to learn something he wants to learn everything he can about it he's kind of obsessive about it mm -hmm. like, um which is a mindset i really um like like kind of agree with and and want to sort of you know emulate him a little bit in in that way sort of thing like yeah 100 um, but uh yeah so i think yeah I mean, like i mean he's a, he's you know for any musicians he's a great person to aspire to he seems very yeah. you know in control of himself yeah. um pretty down to earth yeah and he's trying to get better and learn more and grow as a person and as as an artist yeah um yeah, very well rounded yeah. from the music to his mindset. Yeah. Um, definitely more to research and to look into from his movies to his music. Mm -hmm. There's so much going on with this guy. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm looking forward to hearing even more stuff. Yeah. That's all I got in him, but we're that's Flying Lotus, that's Steven Ellison. That's our guy. Yeah. Is if there's nothing else, I think that's it. We call it. Yeah, we're gonna play out of a track from Cosmogramma. Right on. And the world laughs with you. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Featuring Tom York. Not at me, right? With, no. with me. With you. Okay. Yeah. Well, if you got any fun facts about Flying Lotus or anything that we missed or you have any corrections, hit us up. Um, please, ASAP. Jay, give us the email. <laughs> Roots to Grooves at signalradio.com. S-I-G-N-L radio.com. Grooves is a production of Signal Radio. For more music and independent culture, visit signalradio.com. That's S-I-G-N-L radio.com.